It's a little question that divides people into clear camps that can bring the calmest person to the height of disagreement and can turn songwriters and composers into banner-waving compatriots for their chosen side. All right, okay, so I might exaggerate a little, but it is certainly a question that has strong beliefs, ideas, and proponents. And it's all about rhyme. Should musical theatre be a form that uses pure or perfect rhymes, or are near or imperfect rhymes acceptable? Welcome to this challenging episode of From Inspiration to Stage. Hi everyone, my name is Drew Lane and welcome to this episode of From Inspiration to Stage. Okay, so where do we begin with this topic? Well, let's give a little bit of background on the form. So for the most part of the 20th century, lyrics were almost always written to use perfect rhymes. Now that doesn't mean that there wasn't other lyrical trickery that's being employed, such as wordplay or alliteration. But perfect rhymes was and were, and in many respects, is still the expected standard. Stephen Sondheim, considered one of the greatest musical theatre lyricists and composers ever, has written a book called Finishing the Hat. And there is a short chapter called Rhyme and Its Reasons. And Sondheim states that rhyme is, quote, two words or phrases whose final accented syllables sound alike except for the consonant sounds which precede them, end quote. Not rhymes that use the same final syllables, or near slash false slash slant slash imperfect rhymes which share the same vowel sound, but don't end in the same way. He goes on to say that, quote, There is nothing wrong with near rhymes. Two generations of listeners brought up on pop and rock songs have gotten so accustomed to approximate rhyming that they neither care nor notice if the rhymes are perfect, end quote. But then he goes on and uses two pages, the next two pages, explaining why imperfect rhymes are wrong when it comes to song lyrics. But recently, however, there's been a shift away from the Broadway musical theatre trope of old, that indeed it is more pop and rock, both in style and in composition. The jukebox musical, while not having songs written specifically for the show, uses songs that are from the pop rock repertoire. And maybe this has perhaps given rise to a general acceptance of songs that don't perfectly rhyme. But is it wrong? Now, obviously, there are two clear sides. There are those who mandate for the perfect rhymes and those who are fine with using imperfect rhymes. Now, in trying to piece this whole episode together and also justify my own opinion on this, I reached out into the world of Facebook and threw the question into the air. Where do other composers stand? And I received a plethora of replies. And I'm going to try and put them all together here for you to enjoy and to think about and consider. And you won't be hearing it all from me, which is always a great thing. But first, before we get heavy and down and dirty into this topic, let's have a song. This is a song from one of my musicals called Final Words. And the song is called Little Black Dress. Enjoy. Oh, don't you tell me that it's any surprise. You would have noticed if you'd opened your eyes That's hardly fair Why you were keeping fires burning at home For 20 years I gave him reason for his fingers to roam I thought he loved It's not as if he didn't love you, I guess What do you mean? I met her looking in a little black dress I never knew It started innocently five years ago I never knew His world was moving to the top from so-so I never knew He needed people who were willing to climb I never knew So I showed my skills in more than just a
Alrighty then, so let's look at the first side of this discussion, or do we call that an argument of rhyme? That perfect rhymes should always be used in musical theatre. Sondheim uses them. Jason Robert Brown uses them. They have been used by just about every well-known music theatre composer and lyricist of the last 100 years. Why are they so powerful? Are they the golden rule of lyricism? In throwing this question out into the big, wide, scary world of social media, the incredible Noel Katz, an American composer, lyricist, and book writer for musical theatre, reached out to me. Now, Noel is best known as his musicals Such Good Friends and also Our Wedding the Musical, just two of the 20 or so musicals that he's composed. Anyway, he sent me a little soundbite of what he had to say. Let's have a listen. An audience seeing a new musical hears songs it's never heard before for an hour or two. Now that's a lot to take in. And comprehension is job one. If you're interested in having people understand your lyrics, you'll make listening easier for your audience by using perfect rhyme, as all the great lyricists do. Harnack, Maltby, Sondheim, Hammerstein, Carnelia. If, however, you are more interested in being lazy and don't give a damn if your audience understands the songs, you can be like Tim Minchin, Bono, and Cyndi Lauper and other rock stars who didn't consider writing a show until they were very old and didn't bother to learn how to do it well. Do you care about your audience or don't you? Clearly, Noel views imperfect rhyming as lazy and as also showing a lack of care for your audience. The one thing that we have to do as writers and lyricists is actually give a damn about our audience. After all, they are the ones paying the money to come and see what you've written. Noel also says that comprehension of what the lyric is is job number one, and this is absolutely true, especially when a musical is being heard for the first time. Caitlin Burt, a Australian lyricist based in London, also agrees with what Mr. Katz says. And let's have a listen to what she had to say on this topic. Hi, I'm quite excited to be speaking about rhyme today. It's one of my favourite topics. So uh, here we go. When someone speaks about the craft of writing musical theatre lyrics, it could be referring to a number of skills. But one of these is the use of perfect rhyme. Uh, for me, an imperfect rhyme is only used as a placeholder until I've worked hard enough to find the correct lyric. So I have a pretty rigid approach to it. And this approach differs to writing other genres because musical lyrics have a completely different job to do. A musical is written for an audience to hear each lyric only once, whereas a pop song is designed to have its lyrics heard many times. But we don't have that luxury. We can't just pause a performance and rewind a line that we didn't understand. So we use structure, meter and rhyme in order to help best facilitate whatever we can do to make sure that the brain can take in as much information as easily as possible. By setting up rhyme structure, the brain is primed to be able to preempt a particular sound. And when that sound matches what was predicted, it can actually focus on other things like the retrieval of character information or the plot. Sondheim, who I'll mention a number of times because his use of perfect rhyme is mind-blowing, can write songs which involve a lot of action but does so with neat, perfect rhymes that we hardly notice, but the flow of sound just allows the ear to take it in without any kind of disruption. So, for example, in A Little Night Music, he writes Petra, how too exciting, just when I need it. Petra, such elegant writing, so chic you hardly can read it. What do you think? Who could it be? Even the ink, no here, let me. So the brain just doesn't receive an imperfect rhyme like this. It often requires extra concentration to decipher what's being said. And you don't want the listener to ever have to think about the line that's been said because it takes them out of the moment or out of the emotion. And while they're thinking about the line that they were confused by, they've missed the next three. So this doesn't just happen with imperfect rhymes, but a line that doesn't rhyme is something that can sometimes unconsciously distract the ear. So an example for me of this would be a show, um, Waitress, written by Sarah Borellis. I went to the theatre not having listened to the cast recording prior, and I found myself just really lost a lot of the time while I was in the songs. It sounded nice, but 
it wasn't crafted in a way that helped me catch any of the lyrics. In I Love You Like a Table, Iggy says, Your right dress sparks words spontaneous. I'll sing from the mountaintops. I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. Lucky me, I was ordinary. But with your love, you see, I'm a poem writer. So, well, let's slide the fact that she's rhymed the last syllable of a feminine word for now, because that's not the focus of this podcast. But, for example, your white dress sparks word spontaneous is a good example of an imperfect rhyme that's quite hard to comprehend. Other than understanding, there are so many other reasons why perfect rhyme is superior to an imperfect one. It's an indicator of a character's mental state, where the tighter and the more frequent the rhymes, the more together or intellectual the character seems. Even if a show is wanting to adopt a casual or a modern tone, it's still more effective in perfect rhyme. You can look at the lyrics of Six by Toby Marlowe, which are so cleverly crafted. It can be used for humour, and things are just funnier when they land on a key rhyming word. Also, it's helpful if you want to lead the audience to a predictable word, but then you shock them with something unexpected or unpredictable. And it can also be used for other effects like building momentum or intensity. And I said that I would circle back to Sondheim. So here we are for what I think is just the most impressive run of rhymes in existence. Near the end of the song Comedy Tonight, the character Pseudolus sings pantaloons and tunics, courtesans and eunuchs, funerals and chases, baritones and basses, panderers, philanderers, cupidity, timidity, mistakes, fakes, rhymes, crimes, tumblers, grumblers, bumblers, fumblers. Ugh. And the tone of the show is set, the audience is drawn into whatever this writer has in store next, and it's just made such a build-up of momentum through the sounds that it's used. It is possible to settle for words that are close, and It's so much easier and time effective, but I would say that 95% of the time you can put in another four hours on that line and the rhyme will exist. It's just about work. And when you find it, it's, it's just the best. And isn't that why you became a lyricist? To play with those puzzle pieces until something fits so perfectly, it completes the picture. Like, don't hack off the edges to make it fit, do the work, do it. In Something Rotten, the Kirkpatrick's right. Oh, every time I hear a perfect rhyme, I get old tingly. Because I know that to find a perfect rhyme is not an easy thing, Lee. And it's not. It's not an easy thing. But it's worth it. There are some key things that Caitlin has said that really stand out to me. The idea that developing the perfect rhyme is a skill and that a musical is written for an audience to hear each lyric only once so that the brain can take in as much information as easily as possible. That's the purpose of perfect rhyme. She then says that imperfect rhyme takes the audience out of the moment and all you have to do is just do the work of finding the perfect rhyme. What I also really like is how Caitlin talks about how perfect rhyme can be better for humour, intensity, and also shows the togetherness of a particular character. Let's have a listen to one of Caitlin's songs, which demonstrates the role of perfect rhyme. The music was composed by Amir Schoenfeld, with lyrics by Caitlin Burt, and performed by Stephanie John. It's from a children's show called Sheila the Tiny Turtle. And the song is sung by a kangaroo who meets Sheila midway through the quest in the desert. The kangaroo tries to convince the turtle to go back to her mother. And it's all in perfect rhyme. Enjoy. Oh, what a horror to learn your kid is in the wild. Go return, you're a child. Whether they're crazy or just a bit lazy, a mother tries any kind of mother The platypus's parents are preoccupied with bills A crocodile's mother always snaps The lizard makes her hatchlings go and dress their necks in frills Koala kids are forced to bear their naps Though you might think she's a pain or that her methods are insane A mother's gone a frequent offspring just spring off A mother's gone, a frequent offspring just spring off. My kids, why? 
that I'll pounce if he tries to roam. At his size, he's too small to bounce, though not the bush, he has a cushy home. A kookaburra's mother likes to laugh and muck around. A shark won't let her pups get out of line. An emu gives her chicks ideas that won't get off the ground. Echidnas teach their kids to grow a spine. If arthropod or mammal wear the scorpion or camel, a kid can't up and leave the feeding trough. Every mother is the same and she will take on all the blame. She'll go hopping mad because she had her Let's continue with the argument for perfect rhyme. These are some of the comments from the Facebook feed I set up when I first asked about rhyme. Estée Stimler said, I'm so allergic to imperfect rhymes that it puts me off most West End and Broadway shows. I struggle, but I will only present perfect rhymes, although I might cheat a bit on an internal rhyme. Matthew Lockett wrote, I will fight to the death over this. Perfect rhyming is one of the elements of craft that differentiates music theatre lyric writing from pop writing. Nothing distracts me more than when a rhyme clangs. It is literally the same feeling I get when a harmony is out of tune. There is a YouTube masterclass with Lachusa explaining that the job is to find the right words to make the rhyme work. That is the craft. Sondheim is correct in that jokes will only land on a perfect rhyme. I've heard so many jokes flop because the rhyme is off. Helen Perris concedes that she does use near rhymes all the time in her pop songs, but goes on to say that I feel like music theatre songs need more care and attention. There's something very satisfying about finding a clever and useful rhyme that advances the story. Aidan Bell puts it clear. Sondheim, amen. An imperfect rhyme may well have all sorts of justification for wanting to be there and may indeed be a better lyric, but at the end of the day, it's what it says on the tin, imperfect. For me, to be at the top of one's game, one must always use a perfect rhyme. No exceptions. Adam Hoskins says, Rhyming is part of suspension of disbelief that we, the audience, subscribe to. When we give over to the idea of bursting into song, the use of rhyme helps us make sense of the art form, the controlled and formularized expression of thought and emotion through melody and harmony. We are therefore looking at two things the dramatic intention of the character's expression, but also the mastery of the composer and lyricist. The best at their craft, Hammerstein, Sondheim, Miranda, Ashman et al, are able to contrive the form while making wonderful expressions. Michael Spencer says, from a logistical standpoint, there is something to be said about perfect rhyme and audience comprehension. Theatre is a passing art form, and it's important that the material be comprehended for the first time, every time. There can be no doubt what the couplet is if it rhymes perfectly. Daniel Sturman says, I think there are two reasons why we hold up perfect rhymes. The first is that we believe that songs simply sound better when there are rhyming patterns in the lyrics. And the more perfect the rhymes, the more satisfying and often charming or exciting the sound. This observation is as old as songs themselves. Inventing perfect rhymes can actually feel good on our ears. The second reason is since that it is more restrictive and harder to write a song with perfect rhymes, it becomes a minimum aspiration for we as authors as a measure of our work and those of our peers. I don't think aspirational gatekeeping is such a bad thing. Finally, Michael Perry says, The craft of lyric writing lives in the perfect rhyme. There will always be exceptions to this, but cultivate the craft first. Then you will know when to break the rules and come up with something different and hopefully ear-catching. Like I said in my opening, some very, very strong opinions on this topic. Cal Silberstein, who is a regular here on From Inspiration to Stage, got in touch with me to also give his stance on the topic. As a lyricist, here's what he had to say. Oh, rhyme. I mean, it really gets us bent out of shape, doesn't it? Okay, so here's my thing about rhyme. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a sound device. It's a phonetic phenomenon that calls attention to an association between two words. Um, or more, if you're cool and you do double and triple rhymes. Um, it's, it's an effect. It, it can serve a number of purposes. Uh, I mean, if you go back to cognitive psychology, rhyme is a useful memory aid. Pretty much everyone has used a rhyme-centric mnemonic device at some point, I'm pretty sure. 
Uh, I mean, we grow up with this idea that rhyme is a central concept in poetry and songwriting uh, and theatre. I mean, Shakespeare, lots of rhyme there. Uh, it's, it's kind of primal uh, and it calls a lot of attention to itself. And I think that, like any aspect of writing, uh, it is best used with precision. I mean, we're all building a relationship with our audience through storytelling, through songwriting, and as important as our intentions are in our writing, I think it's also really important to be aware of how we are transacting with an audience in a, in a moment of storytelling. I guess it's like... In all matters of craft, what is important is to be deliberate about what you're doing. I mean, God is in the details, after all. Uh, and speaking of Sondheim, uh, because, I mean, who can resist when we're talking about musical theatre writing, and especially rhyme, uh, all of his classic maxims amount to one sort of golden rule, uh, as much as there are any rules, really, in writing. I mean, he would be the first to admit that. And uh, that is all in the aid of clarity. So a general musical theatre audience in the moment gets one chance to hear a lyric, unless it's repeated, uh, which is hopefully being done to achieve a specific effect as well. Uh, we can't assume that people have listened to the cast recording, or unfortunately in Australia, uh, it's chances are a cast recording doesn't actually exist anyway. So part of our transaction with the audience as lyricists is making the meaning or the articulation of a line as clear as possible. And for what my opinion is worth, I think that the truer the rhyme, the easier it hits the ear and the more clear the meaning. Uh, now, if you fumble the setup leading up to the line, you can garble the meaning anyway. But I think that even though half or slant or near or whatever rhymes are perfectly acceptable, like do not be elitist, it's not worth it. Um, objectively, or at least as objective as you can be in a nebulous situation like this, um, a true rhyme has a better chance of being fully understood on the first listen. I think this is particularly true for end rhyme. Uh, I think inner rhyme usually is only received as assonance anyway. I mean, to be just a little bit snobby, with so many billions of words and combinations of words, and more to the point with English having so many synonyms at its disposal, I think it's actually quite rare to find a situation in which there is no true rhyme. Like, if you can find a true rhyme, why wouldn't you? And if you do find yourself in this situation, you always have to wonder whether the whole line needs to be changed. Like, are you desperately holding on to your word choice? Are you reaching for a rhyme with a near rhyme? I mean, you can be reaching for a rhyme with a true rhyme as well. That's certainly possible. I think maybe sometimes you don't need to rhyme at all. Whew, Christ, this topic is worth a whole series on its own. I guess at the end of the day, true rhyme, near rhyme, whatever you're doing, rhyme with abandon. There are no rules. Just do whatever you do and do it on purpose, and be aware of its relationship with the audience. And if you've made all of these considerations, and you are absolutely sure that you have made the right choice, then I think you probably have. Now, clearly, Cal is a proponent of the perfect rhyme. As he said, the truer the rhyme, the easier that it hits the ear. And a true rhyme is a better chance of being fully understood the first time. And he also says that it's rare to find a situation where there is no true rhyme. But it's interesting that Cal also admits that there's no point in being elitist. It's not worth it. And to ultimately rhyme with abandon. If you think you've made the right choice, then you probably have. So let's end this side of the argument with a song from Cal. Here is Crow Magic from the musical Strawman, A Musical Fantasy. With book and lyrics by Cal Silberstein. Music by Ginny Kim. Featuring Cal Silberstein as Anzu and piano accompaniment by Benedict Braxton Smith. I swear. 
then let's look at the other side imperfect rhymes are fine see what i did there rhyme and fine that's an example of an imperfect rhyme it's not that imperfect rhymes have never been around in fact the very nature of most popular music is that it uses imperfect rhyme but why is there now the push into the world of music theater by the imperfect rhyme some commentators state that it's because more and more rock-based works have been written by rock or pop-based composers. Certainly, Spider-Man, Turn of the Dark, Kinky Boots and Waitress are in this category. But you also have composers who haven't necessarily come from that pedigree. The composers of Matilda, Book of Mormon, Once are by composers who are not so much top 40 writers. In doing this research, I found an interesting comment on Reddit by You Are Not The Machine, and they said, the shift towards near rhymes has been due to a general public expectation of realism in the media. Perhaps this is the case? I don't know, perhaps not. Or is it that the expectation for perfect rhyme is less, as David Yazbek is quoted as saying? He says, I think that the expectation has been lowered radically. It seems there isn't nearly as much pleasure taken in clever lyric writing as there used to be. That's okay. That's just how it is. So let's have a listen to what other people have got to say about this side of the album. I recently interviewed Millicent Saar for our third Composer Spotlight, and if you haven't checked it out, make sure you do. But she said this about rhyming. There are two main things that I have learnt. Okay. Um, one of them is kind of like a, a mantra that myself and um, my friend Josh, who is often my writing partner, mm-hmm. um, we kind of cling to this um we we wrote it on a piece of paper and like stuck it to a piano that we were working on because we thought that it was so important and was something that we kept coming back to which is that the integrity of the lyric is more important than the perfection of the rhyme Mm, very good because we'd often find ourselves um like kind of convoluting and um messing the lyrics around to Mm. try and make a rhyme perfect and then it lost some of the substance and it lost some of the meaning behind it. And the whole point of lyrics is to, is to convey a meaning. So if your meaning is suffering, but your rhyme is perfect, we don't think that it's worth it. Okay. So (laughs) that was almost like a half rhyme. Um, (laughs) How appropriate. Um, But yes. So basically it's our mantra to say, the meaning is more important. That's what the lyrics are there for. If you can get a beautiful, perfect rhyme mm. to convey that meaning, that's great. Yeah. But don't don't mess with the lyrics so much to make the lyric to make the rhyme perfect that the meaning is lost. Suffers. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. that's mm. one of the things that we kind of worked out through writing together, where we'd be like, "Oh my god, this rhyme is perfect," but why does the lyric not make sense yeah. anymore? Yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's something that we kind of learnt together. Very good. I really like the phrase, the integrity of the lyric is more important than the perfection of the rhyme. Michaela Ryan is a Brisbane-based lyricist and composer who also says this, quote, You don't have to have a perfect rhyme every time. If you use a majority of perfect rhymes, then you have the right to use some imperfect rhymes. Sometimes near rhymes are necessary. I've done it a few times. The audience has never cared. And I don't really care what critics think. Michaela also included a few examples of how she has used both perfect and imperfect rhyme. They come from a radio play that she's developing called Private Left, Right, Left. Let's have a listen as she speaks through some of those rhymes. Marty was a pro with his rifle. Good shot! 
He was competent in ironing a shirt. He kept finishing his runs with a time so fast, and he didn't mind getting in the dirt. Just take things one day at a time. Don't give up on yourself. You might just be a late bloomer and need a little help. I also received an email on this topic from Krishna Alexandra, a composer and lyricist based in the USA, and this is what she had to say. Quote, As a writer, I do not believe in the necessity of perfect rhyme. In fact, I think that using nothing but perfect rhymes tends to sound artificial and adds to the cheesiness that a lot of non-theatre people associate with our art. I prefer to work with original vocabulary, and I like unusual, unexpected word pairings. I look for my songs to reflect the speech patterns of the characters in question, i.e. a teenager is likely to speak with a simpler, more limited vocabulary than a professor. Rhyming is a tool, not a requirement. I don't ensure rhyme completely because completely unrhymed music can be jarring, but that's not usually my intention musically. That said, I only use as much rhyme as it takes to smooth the path of musical dialogue. She goes on to say that I know I'm in the minority here, but I actually think that using perfect rhyme all the time is kitschy and old-fashioned. It restricts language to the detriment of poetry and lends to the general sense that music theatre is cheesy. I like a nice mix of perfect and imperfect rhymes. I think it sounds more natural to the modern ear. And to those who think that near rhymes are a cop-out, I think the same about your devotion to perfect rhymes. I want my lyrics to reach for the sublime, not settle for clever. So let's have a listen to one of her songs. Here is Fly Me Home from Dublin Rising, a new musical. The music and lyrics are by Krishna Alexandra and Lorian Patton. The book is by Krishna Alexandra. This song is sung by Lana Reeves with piano by Pierre Grill. It was recorded by Pierre Grill at Rendezvous Recording in Honolulu, Hawaii. Of the one that I love, fly me home 
my sweet Irish boy. Stephen and I will be married next June, just as soon as the rising is done. And Aiden assures me he'll rescue me soon, just as soon as the Irish have won. But I don't know what to So what about the Facebook comments? Well, here's what people had to say on Imperfect Rhyming. Sarah Curtis said, Word choice is all about context and what meaning you want it to give. If you are rhyming for the sake of rhyming, it will not have the impact of a carefully chosen word or phrase, which breaks the rhyme deliberately to make a statement. Meaning should take precedence over tricks. Ryan Thompson says, To be honest, I'm a fan of songs that ensure rhymes in favour of making sense. I listened to a reading a while ago and my ears bled from constantly hearing these rhymes that just kept making the song make no sense. Craig Parrish says, I really believe it's just about what sounds right to the ear. And of course, that's going to be more subjective for each audience member, which can be impacted by more factors than just rhyme. For example, timing, cadence, melody, if it's in a song. There are near rhymes that can sound overall just as fine as true rhymes. So there seems to be a quite a strong argument on this side too. And where it differs from the it's the art form point of view that Perfect Rhyme has is that audience have adjusted to hearing imperfect rhymes and so therefore they should be more accepted. Further, perfect rhymes shouldn't be used in place of meaning. At this point, I'm going to throw in a song that I've written as well. It's not about perfect rhyme or anything like that, but it is about social networking. It comes from one of my youth musicals, called A Different Normal, and this is a song called Social Network. Right after this, we'll be back with another side to this story.
And we're back. So the old saying goes, there are two sides to every story, but maybe there's three in this case. As I discovered from the Facebook responses, there are those who have this third option to put into our discussion. And I do feel that it's extremely valid to include them here. Jai Bryant, who is featured here on From Inspiration to Stage a few times, says, I think near rhymes are acceptable, but perfect rhymes are ideal. I guess it really depends on context. Peter Cavell agrees, saying that context is important. A near rhyme is going to stand out if it's preceded by 30 minutes of perfect rhymes. But near rhymes are more or less acceptable in different genres of music. I guess, for my part, and this is me speaking, Drew, that if you are using a particular genre of music, maybe that will lean it towards imperfect rhymes more. Whereas other genres will ask for perfect rhymes. Alex Goh says, Though I personally believe in perfect rhymes for music theatre, I think that there are more important issues to discuss with rhyming than whether the rhymes are perfect or not. I hear lots of cliched or forced rhymes from lyricists, no matter what rhyming tradition they come from. I will say, it's one thing if someone chooses a near rhyme to say something original, creative, funny or clever. But if you're using a near rhyme on two boring word choices, then I feel like you just gave up and chose the first two words that sounded even remotely like each other. Paul Kennedy agrees with Alex and says, Although I have a strong preference for near rhymes, it does limit your choices. And you don't need to listen to a whole lot of songs, theatre, pop, whatever, to hear the same old tired cliches start rolling through. So what is the upshot of these comments? Well, it's kind of going back to what Cal Silberstein said earlier. The ideal is the perfect rhyme, but an imperfect rhyme shouldn't be demonised for what it is. In other words, don't be elitist, it's just not worth it. So then, is asking for a traditional trope to be employed being elitist? And does using improper rhymes really smack of laziness? Or can there indeed be a balance? For my part, and this is where if you want to disagree with me, be my guest, email me, I don't mind. But for my part, when I write lyrics, I am aiming for the perfect rhyme. However, I'm not averse to using an imperfect rhyme if I think it will help relay my meaning better. I must admit there was a time when I felt really chastised for not using perfect rhymes. And I really felt trying to find that perfect rhyme stopped me from being in the flow of actually creating a lyric. I became so caught up in trying to find the perfect rhyme that what I wanted to say would become secondary to the actual rhyme itself. What I had to do was become confident in my style of writing and in my own ability to then put the need of a perfect rhyme to one side. There was a learning curve and I had to figure out what worked best for me. In my latest musical, Electric Dreams, I aimed for perfect rhymes as much as I could, but it wasn't always possible for some words. In particular, the opening song of the show, Living in the 80s, relied on rhyming continuously with the word 80s and the word four. What I created was a series of imperfect rhymes, which meant hitting the eight rhyme more than the T's rhyme. Obviously, four was easier to find perfect rhymes for, so I used them. Was I right in doing so? Was I wrong in doing so? I don't know. Did the audience understand the meaning less or more? Well, I just guess they got the meaning because the song went across really well. I obviously took great care to write the lyrics so that they would do what a good musical opening number should do. And that was what took priority. So then I guess, in some ways, I'm in the imperfect lyric camp. And yet, there is something beautiful and sublime when you really nail a series of perfect rhymes. And yes, as I said, I do aim for perfect rhymes at every opportunity and only use imperfect ones if there is no other way. So then I guess I'm erring in the perfect camp. Damn. I can't give you an answer. All right, so, so let's, let's cue a song so I can try and figure myself out. Here is Living in the 80s so you can hear what I got up to.
to understand the future. It is in our best interest as architects to know both. We cannot afford to drop the ball. We all have a duty. People want a business that's dependable. And we're creating beauty. People want their buildings to be trendable. The future is at hand, the vision to command. We have to have the mind to be moving with the times. Technology today is the lamp to light the way. We must use it or we'll lose it. Meeting adjourned, gentlemen. Miles, where have you been? Frank, I feel so stupid. I was running for a flight and then I got delayed. Explaining won't be easy to Riley. Arriving at this meeting still in disarray. I'm fighting for my dream of how to hold the seams of building with a brick. Chap Milesy, here comes Riley. Oh, Milton. It's a Miles, sir. Your behavior lately has been less than professional. I was out of town doing research on a special brick I'm developing, so... There is nothing I like better than initiative. Except punctuality. Without that cornerstone... It's a brick, sir. The building would fall. Now, Milton, we work in a competitive industry, so take my advice and get yourself one of these. Uh, I already have a pager. It's a computer. It will help you to take control of your life. I'd probably just lose it. Nonsense. When you live it's first out of the gate or you'll find that you are waiting at the end of the line getting up to date with the latest and the greatest is what it takes to rate when you're working for the name that's on that sign get to it harding yes sir what do you say he wants me to get a computer oh, well sure i've got one you do and i can fix you up with just the right one too what else can I do? It's this or I'll be through. It's one way of looking at it. I guess I have to find how to catch up with the times. I'll get you the deal you want. If Riley worked it out, then who am I to doubt? That's right. Maybe this is what you're needing to get from failure to succeeding. Find the faith and start believing that you can do it. Let's get you fixed. Come on, Miles, get with the program! Living in the 80s and bursting at the gate And we're making our own faith for what the future holds Grabbing at the chances with credit card advances And one next ten romances who can ask for more Living in the 80s and hailing Prince John Blake The cars and Thompson's wins are on the radio Punky Brewster's cool, Miami Vice is true Who's the boss and it's your move, all in 1980 Time to fess up, which side am I on? I don't know. <laughs> I guess that if I'm willing to use imperfect rhymes, then I am in that camp. But I do really believe that lyricists should strive passionately for the perfect rhyme, but not to the detriment of the wider comprehension of the song. So, yep, I haven't really answered the question at all. Ultimately, you will decide your own path and you will have your own ideas and thoughts on rhyme. Pick your side or take a bit of both. But one thing is for sure, this discussion will continue and as more successes for both sides appear, 
they will simply lend credence to their side of the debate. So that's it for this episode of From Inspiration to Stage. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the different sides of the argument about rhyme. I'd also like to thank everyone who got involved in this podcast and gave their opinion, but especially Caitlin Burt, Noel Katz, Michaela Ryan, Krishna Alexandra and Cal and Millicent Saar. You have been absolutely amazing and thank you for agreeing to be on this show. And I'd love to know where you stand on the topic and come back to this topic again. So if you want to get in touch, just email me at fominspirationtostage at gmail.com. That's fominspirationtostage at gmail.com. You can also, if you want to support From Inspiration to Stage, get in touch with me on my new Patreon account. So just go to patreon.com slash Drew Lane and, you know, sign up for one of the memberships. It would be great to meet you, get to chat with you, and you also get the opportunity to input into the direction of From Inspiration to Stage. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. My name is Drew Lane, and I will catch you again in the future. Cheers.